Welcome to season four of the Today is a Good Day podcast, a podcast to bring you a new point of support as you navigate your NICU journey. This season, you will hear even more personal stories from families who have been where you are today. Some of the stories you will hear will provide you with important advice from medical professionals like case managers and high-risk OBGYNs. You will also hear advice about opportunities you can take to focus on self-care and more. Please don't forget to subscribe to the Today is a Good Day podcast wherever you enjoy your podcast or share this episode with anyone who might find it helpful. Some families move from the NICU to the PICU during an extended hospital stay. What is the pediatric intensive care unit? How do you manage an extended NICU and PICU journey? Today's guest will share more about her family's journey with their 26-weeker Eli, navigating from an extended stay in the NICU to their journey in the PICU and beyond. Karen Johnson is a Nigerian-born and raised naturalized American with 20-plus years of professional experience in the field of information technology. As she will share with you, though, none of her life's experiences could have prepared her for the journey with her son, Eli. Karen, thanks so much for being here. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, Karen, you have certainly been a part of the Today's a Good Day family for a number of years. I'm thrilled to have you here on the podcast today. You have such an important and meaningful and powerful story to share. Can you tell us a little bit about your family's pregnancy journey? Absolutely. It was a bit of a long road. Um, My husband and I always wanted to have children. Well, we had points where we weren't too sure about that. But (laughs) once we decided on that, we uh, had a long period of infertility, which is maybe something for another podcast. You know, we even went as far as having IVF, which was not successful. And we decided to just let nature take its course, and either we'd have a child or we wouldn't. And um, that was not an easy decision, but eventually Eli came along without any interventions. Surprise, surprise. Um, And it was a very uh, relatively uneventful and uninteresting pregnancy. I was technically high risk because of my age and some health factors, Um, but everything seemed to be fine. Uh, We had some reports that required us to be more closely monitored. And at one of those visits, um, which was just a routine check, the doctor said, well, I have to tell you that your amniotic fluid is low and either you're going to go and have a baby today or you're going to be on bed rest until your baby comes. And well, in two days, we had a baby. <laughs> and that was the our entry into the world of the NICU. I, I don't know if you were like us. I, I thought, okay, we're on bed rest. We're going to make it on bed rest for a while. This is where we're going to be. Did you have that experience as we well? Never, or did you? We never made it to that point. Okay. They sent us across to, well, this was at Abington, mm-hmm. and they sent us across to see the NICU doctors. They checked on my blood pressure. They checked on Eli. I was apparently experiencing preeclampsia. I had no idea. I felt perfectly fine. And Eli was beginning to be in distress. So at that point, they said, we're going to keep you for two days, give you some steroids to help his lungs, because obviously he was very early. Mm-hmm. And um, and then at that point, we'll ha- you'll have a C-section and the baby will come. And that's what happened. Did you know anyone who had experienced the NICU? Did you know anything about the NICU? I knew what a NICU was. My brother was born prematurely. And None of that made me remotely ready (laughs) for the experience we actually had. I didn't know as closely what that experience would look like, other than what you'd see maybe on Mm -hmm. TV or hear about on the news. So it was all very new. 
And how much did Eli weigh when he was born? Eli weighed less than a pound. He was 15 mm-hmm. ounces when he was born. And how long How long was his journey in the NICU and what did that look like for you all? He was in the NICU for a little under three, a little over three months, just under four. Um, and it was, you know, it was an interesting experience. Um, you're in there with, you know, other families and you don't really have a private moment to yourself. I guess from the from the very beginning, your baby is born and they're taken from you. I had a moment to look at him mm-hmm. and to see him being wheeled off. So immediately the vision that you have of what childbirth is like, what that experience is like, is different. I had been on uh, two days of drugs that made me extremely tired. So I wasn't even really able to get up and go and see him because I, I just couldn't physically move. And then, you know, you're trying to process all this medical information what does this mean for my child? Is he going to live? If he lives, will things be normal, as mm-hmm. it were, the way that you've envisaged them? And it's, it's, they make it as warm as they possibly can. But again, you had visions of a home birth, maybe, or a birth where your child was next to you, you know, as soon as they were born for days, of breastfeeding, which you, <laughs> we never got to do. Mm-hmm. I didn't even get to hold him until he was about a month old. And so the whole experience was, it was surreal and not in a good way necessarily. Mm-hmm. We were fortunate to have wonderful nurses and doctors who, you know, took time to make sure we understood what was going on. People like you who also helped us to figure out how to navigate the journey and taught us the importance of connectivity with other families. Mm-hmm. So we were able to b- build friendships with people who were close to us. Um, but it was a very up and down sort of experience. What what helped you to get through it? I mean, did you journal? Did you uh, did you share with family? How did you share information with family and friends? What helped you get through each day? Uh, f- first and foremost, I think our faith mm-hmm. just allowed us to to say, you know what, God brought us this far. We waited this long for this child that we we didn't even know we could have, and he's here now, and we believe he's going to stay. And if we have to walk through this journey, that's what we have to do. Um, but something that you actually told me was the importance of journaling and writing. Um, I, I don't know whether or not it's okay to mention, but we, I used Caring Bridge a lot. Mm-hmm. And um, I actually journaled every day of Eli's life for the entire time that he was in the hospital. Every medical update, every progress, uh, bit of progress he made, any cute little things that happened was very helpful to me. Um, making sure to attend the rounds. The doctors called us at the end of every day having conversations with them, having those family meetings, making those friendships and interconnections in the NICU. Um, all of those things helped to make the journey a little bit easier. Well, you're bringing up such a good point, too. An important part of the NICU is being there for the rounds, being a part of the care team. How did you make that happen? I mean, how did you build those strong relationships with the medical team members there? I mean, it just, it, it almost wasn't a question that we would need to do that. I needed that information. I needed to know what was going on. So we made sure that we were present whenever we could be. Um, the reality is, I want to say this, parents should never feel bad if they can't be there every second of the day. I worked a demanding job. My husband worked a demanding job. And we couldn't be there all day every day. But the doctors would call us every day. And if they didn't call, we called. We got to know this doctor calls by 5 o'clock. This one calls by 2. Impressive. <laughs> and we would call. <laughs> if we hadn't heard, then we knew something was off. Um, and, you know, my husband's mother would also often be at the hospital. They weren't necessarily allowed to give her information. 
but she would observe and she would report back to us and say, this is what's happening when you're not there. So having that additional family support was also very helpful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I know right now that's difficult with COVID in different hospitals, families being allowed to come in. But I agree with you. We had the same situation of I went back to work as well and being able and Paul was at work, but being able to have some family who was able to go in and sit with Claire when she was in the NICU, it was so helpful. And hopefully we'll be back at that point at some, at some time Hopefully that so. families can go in and, and certainly help. So you were in the NICU for an extended stay. And something that we don't talk about as much is a transition into the PICU, which is the pediatric ICU. Talk to us about that experience. Sure. So Eli, um, we spent the first three months at Abington, and then he was airlifted to uh, Nemours in Delaware. And we were there at the PICU for a short time, at the NICU for a short time there as well. And, you know, there were two points of transition that were challenging. Leaving Abington, which, as you know, is very family-focused. Uh, we were very comfortable there. We knew all the doctors and the nurses. We, it became our home away from home. So it was a difficult transition, but we had to move because of the needs that Eli had at the time. So there was that first transition to the NICU, to, to a new NICU, learning a new set of doctors, a new set of nurses, a new environment. Um, and Nemours is wonderful, but it was different. So learning how things function there, learning what level of engagement we needed to have to get the same level of information that we were used to. The care was wonderful in all ways, but it was different. How did you get, how did you figure out how to ask the right questions? I mean, I think you bring up such an important point because when you're in one hospital setting for a period of time and and for your journey, it was, you know, over three months when you're there, you do, you, you get close to the team there and you, you know, kind of how everything operates. How did you, how did you navigate through meeting the new staff and getting accustomed to the new way that it worked at the, the second hospital? I think it took some time to acclimate because you come in with a certain set of expectations and when they're not met, you know, I had the option to say this is disappointing and this hospital does not meet my standards, but it really wasn't that. We just needed to understand each other. And so I would talk with the doctors and nurses and say, this is what I'm used to. This is what I expect. This is how I can facilitate that. So just laying that foundation of this is what I expect. This is what I've been accustomed to. How can we work together to get to that point? And being willing to extend myself. Um, so if sometimes if I had to take off, I had certain times of day I would call. I would leave my desk or I would leave whatever I was doing at home. This is when I call to get my update and learn what I need to learn. And again, being sure to attend rounds and can't stress enough the importance of that. So once we moved to the Moors, again, we were in the NICU for a short time. We knew that Eli would need to get a tracheostomy and he was just bigger. So he got his trach. We spent a Few, about a week, I would say, in the NICU, and then we moved to the PICU, which was, again, the transition of new doctors. How well will they know my son? And I think that was important, too, explaining to people, this is Eli's history, but also this is who Eli is as a person, even mm-hmm. though he's a little person. <laughs> but in the few months he's been here, this is what we know about him and what he, you know, how he operates so that people could see him for the individual he was, and that would help to make the care more robust. So many important things that you're sharing right now, Karen. A couple of them that really stand out to me in listening to you talk about your family's experience. Talking about managing expectations and just open communication with new medical team members to say, this is what we're used to. This is what we've experienced. This is what I'm expecting. It might be different than your process, but how can we kind of meet in the middle? 
so important. I mean, I think, and feeling comfortable to do that. I'm not sure everybody feels comfortable to go in and do that. But to hear you talk about how you did that for Eli and for your family, it's really important. Absolutely. And people should feel free to do that. The medical team, you know, they wanted to do these things. They wanted to be an active part of the journey. They wanted to have this relationship. And it's not, you know, they're busy caring for your child. So they may not always see where you feel that there's a gap or something is lacking. And so if you express that, um, I, I found that everyone was always willing. And sometimes they'd say, you know, I, I may not be able to do all of that all the time, but I'll certainly try. Mm -hmm. And then you figure out where you can slot in and fill the gap. Because at the end of the day, it's your child and no one's going to care more about your child than you can. So if you have to make a few extra phone calls, talk to a few extra people, um, get to know your social worker really well. <laughs> uh, if your child has a primary nurse or doctor, be in communication with them. Uh, we found that everyone was always very happy to, to work with us. Well, and the other piece of it that I love that you mentioned was just talking about who Eli is, right? Absolutely. So we talk so much about medical needs, equipment, all the different medicines, all the different aspects of the medical care, but taking the time to talk about who he is and who he was back then with the medical team members. I mean, what a, a amazing perspective to have to share. It's so critical. Um, the most important thing I tell anyone who works with Eli from then till now is I want you to know him as an individual. Mm -hmm. Yes, he's got equipment. Yes, he has extra needs. That's all true. But at the end of the day, he's this rambunctious little boy who likes to play, who likes music, who smiles at this and laughs at that. And when you see him as a, a whole person, you treat him as a whole person. Mm -hmm. um, the medical things, they are what they are. But I wanted to make sure that he was not being lost in a sea of just medical treatment. And what did your journey look like in the PICU? How long were you there? Uh, we were in the PICU until Eli turned 15 months. Mm -hmm. uh, so we were there just over a year. <laughs> um, it was a long time. Um, it was, I think, better in some ways. The NICU was, uh, it wasn't bad. But the good thing about the PICU was that we had our own room. Um, we were able to spend time with Eli whenever we wanted to. We were able to be more hands-on, more importantly. Um, in the NICU, you've got, you know, your child may be in an incubator. They may have a ventilator. They may have, not that you don't have those things in the PICU, but hopefully they're slightly, they're bigger too. <laughs> in the NICU, when he was 15 ounces, I couldn't necessarily hold him and he needed all the support he could get. By this point, he was older. He was somewhat stronger. Um, there were still challenges and issues we were working through, but we got to be more hands-on in his care. In the NICU, you could perhaps only give a bath on certain days when you had enough staffing to help you with that. But in the PICU, we could always be involved in making sure he was dressed in the cute clothes or had his hair brushed or whatever mm -hmm. we wanted to the do. The little things, right? The little things. You could really be a parent. Uh, you, you could be more of a parent mm -hmm. in the PICU. Um, the medical care was what it was, but as a family, you got to have a closer experience there. 15 months between the NICU and the PICU. Correct. For other families that are looking at this journey ahead or potentially looking at this journey ahead, how do you get through it? Much prayer. <laughs> um, definitely much prayer, but also you have to find your support system. Um, there are a lot of challenging moments. I think one of the best things that the hospital helped us with, there were a couple of nurses who said, hey, your son's getting a trach. I know a lady who's got a daughter or a son who has one. 
may I link you up with them? And being able to establish those relationships so that when I felt less certain about my decisions, less sure about what the future would look like, I had people who had been through this journey that I could talk with and that I could interact with. Uh, family support was crucial um, in this, just having people that you could talk to about what was going on. It's very hard for people to understand all the medical aspects, and but they can be there to be a sounding board for you just to help get your emotions out. So having that was important. We were fortunate to be part of very supportive workplaces, so that made it easier for us as well. But finding every opportunity we could to spend time with him, to be involved with him, to be engaged, um, and you know, being active parts of his medical, the medical decisions and care, uh, just really, you're almost in a tunnel vision mode. You do what you have to do in order to get through it, but it is important, I will say, to take care of yourself, and it's easy to lose that sometimes. I appreciated greatly at some point when the doctors said to me, you need to talk to somebody mm -hmm. <laughs> because you've been through trauma. I didn't have time to think about the trauma I was experiencing. My child was going through trauma every day. But they said, no, no, you need to talk to somebody. And having me sit down and talk with a couple of the counselors there and think of a game plan to help, you know, and learning to take care of yourself in the midst of things. Sometimes the nurses would say, you need to go home. And you have to learn that I do need to go home and take care of me. Sometimes people don't go home because they think I don't have the children or I don't. Go home and take care of yourself. Take a break. Relax. Know that your child is in the best possible place they could be when they're not with you. And give yourself grace and the opportunity to recharge because your child is going to need you to have that strength for the next day. Well, and what is, I think, so important of what you're sharing now, too, is some people coming to you saying, hey, can I connect you with this other mom? Can I help to get you set up to talk? If listeners are out there, proactively reach out to your nurse that is taking care of your baby. Hey, I'd really like to connect with another mom. Our, our surviving twin's best friend for life, her her little girl that was that graduated a day apart from her, both surviving twins, we proactively reached out to them that I don't know what I would have done without that friendship in the NICU. So being able to go and talk to your nurse or doctors to say, hey, we're going through this. I need to connect with somebody who's going through something similar. They can help connect you with graduates. We do that through today's good day as well when we hear from families who are saying, hey, I'd really, I'm going through this tough time and, and we try to find another family who's experienced it. And also the the social worker reaching out, hey, I'd like to connect with the social worker at the hospital to ask them questions and where I might be able to seek some help. So love hearing all of that from you. I do think that's very valuable because I didn't know that these were options and resources. So if you're listening and you know now that you can do this, definitely ask. And you know, also something I'd like to mention is, interestingly enough, there are all kinds of support groups and communities on Facebook. And with our particular circumstances, you know, there were a couple of groups that I found to be very helpful. And joining there, I was able to ask questions and find support in other parents who were in pretty much the exact same situation. Mm -hmm. The reason may have been different, but they were in the same medical situation and that support was and is invaluable. So look for groups like that, that you can be a part of as well, because those are very helpful. Love that. I, I agree. I think you can really find some valuable Facebook groups out there to ask questions and kind of find a community that understands what you're going through. When you graduated from the NICU with Eli, he came home with equipment. He had a trach, 
you went through the training with all of that. What did that look like transitioning home? Um, so Eli came home with, uh, he had a tracheostomy, he had an NJ tube, he had a GJ tube, and we came home with all kinds of things. Uh, a feeding pump, a ventilator, a concentrator, suction machines, the, the gamut, a lot of, <laughs> a lot of equipment. Um, it was, there were several weeks and months of training that we had to undergo in the hospital. Again, I can't say enough good things about them. The training program was very rigorous because essentially your child is coming home and you are their first responder. You are the, you're the, the, the expert in their care. And they made sure that we could do that. So the training for us, um, we had to meet with several respiratory therapists. There was a primary respiratory therapist, but there were several others we had to meet with, uh, work with the nurses to learn how do you suction? How do you know when they need to? What's the right suction depth? Um, what does this ventilator mean? What do these numbers mean? What do these values mean? What do you do when this alarm goes off? How do you perform CPR on your child? Things that you, as a parent, when you're expecting your child, have never really thought about, because why would you? Um, and so it was a long and rigorous process. And the culmination of it was with us going into a simulation lab with a dummy that uh, had a tracheostomy and playing out scenarios of what do you do when this happens, when this happens, when the dummy turns blue or whatever the case may be. And those taking the time, you know, there were certain items that we had to complete, but also taking the time to make sure that every opportunity we got, we were we were doing the suctioning, we were doing the trach changes, whatever chance we had that we practiced so that when we got home, we would be more comfortable. Um, so it's quite a journey in that sense. And then you had to also prepare in the sense that you need nursing in a situation like this. Uh, you know, we were very fortunate. Every nursing is in short supply. Not everybody gets it. But that's something that we had to organize before we could leave. Having nursing, having the, the durable medical equipment company that would provide the supplies for us. And we had to have all that in place before we could come home. And were you required to have a certain amount of nursing or did you figure out what that would look like? Um, you figure out what it will look like based on um, your work schedule and the particular needs of your child. So the idea being that you should have someone that can be there for you while you're at work in order to watch them, as well as someone that can be there. In our case, we also needed someone to be there at night for us to be able to get sleep because Eli was, again, on the ventilator, needed to have eyes on him 24 by seven, as well as he was at the time getting continuous feeds. So you needed someone to also watch the feeding pump and do all of those things. So um, we started off with roughly 17 or 18 hours of nursing per day. Um, and over time, as his needs have evolved, that's changed. I, I'm just in all of you, of all that you all have gone through and how well he is doing and what he's accomplished and what you all have accomplished as a family. I mean, it's really incredible. And I think I sit here and look at you and go, look what you have come through over the past number of years. I mean, it's just amazing. It's just incredible. And I, and I think it's so important for other people to hear, too, that you can do it. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. Like, yes. I mean, it's not something you ever would have thought of mm -hmm. or imagined. But you have the capacity. My hope is that people don't have to do this. But if you do, it is scary, right? It's, it's challenging because you leave the safety and security of knowing that if something is going wrong, there are 15 or 20 people running down the hallway to come and take care of your child, to going home where, yes, you have a nurse, but the reality, and I want to be very clear, is that you know more about that nurse than they do 
you know, more than that nurse about how to take care of your child. You know, we've had situations where paramedics have come to our home and the paramedics, this, and this is not, nothing against paramedics. They're not trained or exposed to the situation. So you're the one who has to perform the CPR. You're the one who has to get your child stabilized. And then they transport you. So it is scary because you're leaving. I'm not a medical professional. <laughs> you know, I had aspirations once upon a time, but I couldn't mm-hmm. pass chemistry, so I was not. <laughs> but leaving knowing that your child's life is in your hands in ways you could never possibly have imagined. But you can do it. The strength is there. The capacity is there. You have to try. You have to train. You have to focus. You have to, every opportunity you get, practice, practice, practice. Um, but it is very doable, and your child can survive and thrive. Um, so I, I want to encourage people. It, it's hard. You know, even, even the decision to have these surgeries, not something to be taken lightly. Seeing your child after the surgery very challenging. You question a lot. You ask yourself, did you make the right choice? But I know that we did unequivocally. Um, And it's been a long and difficult road. And you are not necessarily going to have a lot of help all the time. Because, you know, everyone doesn't have the training that you have. Or even if they do, frankly, it's scary. (laughs) It's challenging to think of yourself being in a position where you have to save this little person's life. And so, People may have the right intentions and the desire, but they may not have the skill or the time or the capacity to do it. And so a lot is on your shoulders. But if we could do it, I know that other people can do it too. And in doing it, know that you're not alone. There are a bunch of us that are willing to help, to encourage, to advise. I thank God for the people that we met who were able to give us help and advice along the way. So I could pick up the phone and say, hey, this is happening. What do I do? What do I need to know? We're going to the hospital for this reason. What should I ask? And those resources are out there and available to you. So you can do this. Knowing that you came home on the equipment you did, what is your biggest piece of advice for other families that are getting ready to be discharged, coming home with equipment? It's really learn everything you can. Take every moment you can to practice. Ask every question five times if you have to. Five different ways if you have to. But the key is going to be that hands-on practical experience, right? Observing your child. I think another piece of advice is don't make the equipment a crutch because your child will tell you sooner than the equipment will if something is not right. So watch your child. Understand how they breathe when they're at rest, when they're playing. What do they look like when they're uncomfortable from the food, you know, from the feeding pump? Learn their cues and their their signs so that even when the equipment doesn't really tell you what's happening, you know, you know your child the best. And that way you can, you can investigate what's going on with the equipment. But knowing them is going to tell you which way that you have to go. Be as hands-on as you can. Ask as many questions as you can. No question is stupid. And if you don't understand, ask, ask, and ask again. That's really, I think, the best advice I could give. I always remember the NICU nurses saying, please don't look at the monitors, look at the baby. Absolutely. Don't look at the monitors. And that's exactly what you're saying, too. You know, it 100%. is learning, learning the, your baby and your child. Coming home from the PICU, what did it look like? What specialist appointments did you have? How did you coordinate those schedules? What does it look like now? Sure. Um, <laughs> first, I think 
if you don't mind, I'll just talk about the day we actually came home and then I'll answer your question. Yes. The day we came home was very interesting because, you know, we came home and it should be like this peaceful, tranquil experience. But instead, I think there were there were multiple respiratory therapists there. We, we had an ambulance ride, multiple RTs, multiple nurses, just a room full of people, multiple people from the DME because they're setting up equipment, they're checking schedules there. It's chaos when you first arrive. And then all of a sudden, all those people are gone and it's just you and this little baby. And you have to figure <laughs> figure out how to survive from this point out. Um, but I think, you know, before you leave the PICU, there were several meetings too, because you, you, you do have to select your nursing agency, select your DME. So you'd work with your social worker, your care team in order to set up interviews and conversations with them so that you would be able to say, this is the group I think will help, will be the best with me. They would tell you whether or not they're able to uh, accommodate the schedule that you have in mind. So that's all some of the, the things you'd have to do in probably like the month or so before you leave um, in order to make sure that you have the care you need when you get home. And sometimes the nurses would come and visit with your child so that they could just have an experience with them before you get home. Um, and then they, the hospital was also very wonderful in setting up all the appointments that we had. We had lots of follow-up visits with pulmonology, cardiology, urology. There were several ologies that we had to uh, follow up with. So we had, I would say, multiple appointments every month for a good long while where we'd have to come back and be seen for something. Um, but as time passes, you begin to graduate from some of those things. Um, and so over time, we've had less and less appointments. And now most of our visits are more like well visits uh, where, you know, we, yes, we still see multiple specialists, but um, they're not so much trying to treat uh, an issue as just making sure that things are remaining under control. For those who may be listening and don't know what this term means, what is DME? It is a durable medical equipment provider. And this is the company that provides you with um, all of your equipment for your child. You may have one or multiple. Uh, they provide, uh, you know, they would provide the ventilator, the suction machine, the feeding pump if your child is on a feeding pump. But they also provide you with things like Band-Aids or, you know, diapers or really anything that you may need for the care of your child that has uh, medical, medical needs. After all you've gone through and how amazing your little boy is now, what is your biggest piece of advice for families who are starting their journey? I think you should take things one day at a time. Um, I think it is a long journey. One of the things the doctors told us that we reminded ourselves constantly was, it's a marathon and not a sprint. Celebrate every little bit of success that you have. Um, you know, we threw a first birthday party in the hospital. <laughs> Find ways to make it, to make your experience closer to what it would have been. And that can be anything. It can be the silly sheets that you buy to put on the, in the isolate. It can be the picture that you hang up on the wall. Um, I think taking care of you, finding a way to personalize the experience, and being a part of the process. Yes, the doctors are there to care and to help, but you are your child's biggest advocate. And you, you want to be as engaged as you can in that process to make sure that they get the absolute best of care and you can know that you did everything you can. And be gracious to yourself. It's a hard journey. Some days will be easier than others, you know, but be kind to yourself along the way. 
and know that you're doing the best you can as a mom or as a dad to take care of that child. I think that's really it. And how is Eli doing today? He is doing amazingly well. He is a very rambunctious four-year-old who bosses us all around from time to time. Um, Medically speaking, we have some very exciting news. Uh, On the 12th of July, Eli was decannulated, so he no longer has a tracheostomy. He breathes on his own, free and clear. That's incredible. (laughs) And we're very excited about that. Uh, We still have some things that we're working on and towards, but... Overall, he's a happy, he's the healthiest he's ever been, and he's an amazing kid. He really, really is. That's great. Well, Karen, I can't thank you enough for being here today and sharing your family's journey. It's just really powerful. So thank you. Thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you to our podcast sponsor, Life Celebration by GiveNish. 